Hannah Staver, and this is Ohio Politics Explained, a podcast where you give us 15 minutes and we give you all the news you need to sound smart and impress your friends when you go out this weekend. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Ohio Politics Explained, the every level of gun control edition. This week, we're explaining Ohio's new rules for carrying a concealed weapon, whether the first federal deal on gun control legislation in 30 years might actually become law, why Columbus thinks it might get around Ohio's ban on local gun laws, and whether the Biden administration's executive orders on LGBTQ protections will impact legislation here at home. Joining me this week is reporter Laura Bischoff in our very sweaty studio. Welcome. Welcome back to the show, Laura. Hey, Anna, the AC in here is not quite up to the task. Yeah, it's always hard, I think, to get your air conditioner to do its job when it's 95, 96, 100 degrees out. Absolutely. So our first topic is what we call constitutional or permitless carry. Basically, it says if you are 21 or older and legally allowed to own a firearm, you can tuck it under your shirt or in your handbag without a permit. Governor DeWine signed the law back in March, but it went into effect on Monday. And there are a few other qualifications, right? You can't just be 21 and have legally bought the gun. Yeah, I mean, this is this is a fundamental shift in Ohio's gun policies. And you're right, you have to be 21 or older, and you can't carry if you have a felony on your record or a violent misdemeanor in the past three years. It does away with the requirement that you have to take an eight-hour training class and pass a background check in order to carry a concealed handgun. Now, keep in mind, Ohio's long had open carry, but concealed carry had like this, you know, special training training and background requirement. And the concealed carry dates back to um, 2004 when um, Governor Bob Taft signed it into law. And it's been revised and, and modified over and over again since then. It's a really, it has been a really popular program. Some analysis shows that like 790,000 Ohioans um, held active permits oh, wow. uh, by the end of 2021. So that's like one in every 15 people. And my colleague down at the Cincinnati Inquirer, Cameron Knight, and I worked on a story together that kind of delved into the data of like who exactly gets charged with carrying a concealed weapon without a permit or improper handling of a firearm in a motor vehicle. Mm -hmm. Those are the two, those are the two main things that go away now that this new law is, is in place. And, you know, the data is spread across like 88 different counties um, in the courts. So there's no one stop clearinghouse, you know, easy peasy shopping for this data to find out who's been charged. So, but we were able to pull um, data from Hamilton County, large urban county, Delaware County, you know, more rural. My home county. Your home county. And we also get some some uh, arrest data from the state patrol, highway patrol. So we get a little statewide gotcha. look. And the main thing is that it, it mostly... It's young black men who are most likely to be charged with these violations. Now, keep in mind, they're also most likely to, to get stopped. Yeah. And what's curious about that is over the years of covering the CCW laws and the revisions and the rest of it, you know, most of the time the, the lobbyists, the people who are advocating for it are, I would say, middle-aged middle white men um, predominantly and maybe mm-hmm. more, more from rural areas, really. Um, but it's really, um, it's impacted people of color at a much larger rate. That's really interesting. And just keep in mind that the law also modifies the duty to notify. So one of the things that you were talking about there is in a traffic stop used to be if you had a concealed carry permit, you needed to tell the officer, hey, I have a concealed carry permit. I have a gun in the glove box. Now it's on the duty of the officer to ask you that question. And I will note that you can be charged with a crime if you lie about having a gun in the car. Right. And so, you know, it's really up to the 
to the officers to just say, do you have a weapon? And, uh, but that, that was like a sticking point for the gun rights people is that the law said that they had to promptly notify and they're kind of like, well, what's promptly? I mean, you How know, quick is quick? Yeah, I mean, we're supposed to get our public records requests uh, fulfilled Prompt. promptly, <laughs> and uh, that is definitely open to interpretation. So, um, yeah, you're right that the duty to, to notify has been has been changed. That's another big change in this uh, in this law. It is interesting though in in Delaware County, sixty percent of the um, of these gun possession arrests yeah. were involved black people, and only eleven percent of um, Delaware County residents are black. And uh, similarly, in Hamilton County, eighty percent of those uh, charged were black, and uh, the county is 23% black. So it disproportionately falls on uh, people of color. Our second topic is the federal debate over gun control. This week, a bipartisan group of U.S. senators announced they'd reached a deal in principle on a set of gun control reforms. And that's a really big deal because it's been about 30 years since the last major piece of gun control legislation passed. And among those signing on to this tentative agreement was Ohio's own Republican Senator Rob Portman. Now, they didn't get into super specifics other than saying they would increase needed mental health resources, um, improve school safety, and help ensure that dangerous criminals and those who are mentally ill can't purchase weapons. So it's kind of a broad set of principles that they agree upon, but it's further than they've gotten in a long time. Absolutely. You know, one one of the big things was is uh, closing what they call the boyfriend loophole in domestic violence mm. cases. Um, and I think that that was closing that loophole was um, contemplated in reauthorization of the Domestic Violence Act. I might be calling it the wrong thing, but essentially it means that uh, it doesn't apply to people who are in dating relationships. It's more like if you are living together or married, then you are captured by this no gun if you've had a domestic violence case. So it also, you know, what's interesting is, is it says that it would provide grants to states to implement red flag laws. So you think, oh, well, okay, if there's money to, to do that, but I still don't see Ohio yeah. um, jumping on this, on the red flag um, law. That seems like a, a, a line in the sand for um, Ohio lawmakers. Um, they really don't like that idea at all. And, and a red flag law is to uh, give the police and or close family members the ability to seek a court order to seize guns from a loved one uh, who may be in crisis, a danger of to themselves or to others. Right. And there are temporary seizures. Um, usually, like it can be a couple weeks, a couple months, up to one year. It's kind of at the discretion of a judge and the law in the particular state. But uh, what Ohioans get really, or like the Buckeye Firearms Association, have real problem with sometimes is uh, these laws allow for something called an ex parte hearing, which is where the decision is made outside the presence of the person. And law enforcement says, well, that's because because if you tell somebody in a mental health crisis that you're going to take their weapon, it could create a violent situation. But the other argument is, like, aren't they allowed to make the case before you take their weapon away? It's it's difficult because if you're dealing with somebody in a mental health crisis, it's like about what's best for them, what's best for the family, what's best for the safety of the officers. Right. I mean, nonetheless, I think that the lawmakers in Ohio see that as a violation of the yes. Second Amendment rights. So our third topic is the city of Columbus on our tour of gun legislation, large and small, and specifically its Board of Health. So Ohio law says that local governments can't pass their own gun control laws. So Columbus can't pass a red flag law or a ban on semi-auto weapons or a ban on bump stocks. So you get the idea. And city attorney Zach Klein floated this idea that 
maybe there's a loophole. When it comes to local boards of health, he proposed labeling gun violence a public health nuisance or a public health crisis and using that designation to enact rules and regulations. So just real quick, public health nuisances are are usually, you know, improper dumping of trash, um, ill-maintained properties, unsanitary handling of food by restaurants. Right. Infectious diseases like yes. COVID-19, etc. I see this as a tough sale. sell. Um, legally speaking, yeah. Yeah, legally speaking. And also, I think politically speaking, um, you know, just look at the big pushback that um, Ohioans and Americans have had on mask mandates and, and um, vaccines for COVID-19. If they're going to try and adopt gun violence as a public health crisis, which that has been, that has been a lens that a lot of people have, have um, looked at this issue. Yeah. But if they were to do that, I, I, my prediction looking in my crystal ball would be that the <laughs> legislature would move to explicitly preempt boards of health from addressing gun violence. Quite possibly. Our final topic is the Biden administration and its executive orders. So there were two signed this week. Uh, there was one issued back in May and the, the President Joe Biden has been signing a number of these as it relates to the LGBTQ community since he took office about a year and a half ago. So he's been signing these executive orders and directing federal agencies to expand protections for the LGBTQ community, particularly those under 18. So this week he signed two, one of which would ban federal dollars from being used in something called conversion therapy, which is a controversial practice aimed at changing someone's sexual orientation or gender identity. Um, He's like, you know, this has been discredited for years. We're just not going to allow any federal dollars. But where Attorney General Jay Yost and some other folks are taking issue with him is when he's expanding the definition of discrimination. So he told the Department of Agriculture back in May to expand their definition of discrimination to include gender identity and sexual orientation. And that becomes an issue with if you have a school district, let's say, that has a policy about transgender student bathrooms, transgender student athletes, could that be interpreted to mean that they should not be eligible for certain federal benefits like school lunch. Yeah. And um, Attorney General Yost did tweet about that, I think, just recently. Yeah. And it is it has been an issue. It's interesting. The presidents have expanded the use of executive orders. I think that's in large part because there's so much gridlock in Congress that they can't get legislation through. Um, so we'll see how this is going to play out. Yeah. Even like what we were talking about earlier with the federal deal on gun control, it requires 10 Republican senators because that's the number needed to break a filibuster because 50 Democrats plus 10 Republicans equals 60. And that's the magic number. And so you really need 60 senators to pass anything in Congress. And I think you're right. In lieu on parties, uh, Republicans and Democrats have issued more executive orders because getting 60 votes on anything in this political climate has been difficult. It's just been a a heavy lift, uh, especially given how divided the, um, the Senate is. Yeah. And one more thing before you go. Monkeypox. Yes. Ohio health officials say we have the first possible case of monkeypox here in Ohio. A man tested positive for what's called the orthopox virus, and state health officials are working with the Center for Disease Control to confirm whether this is actually a case of monkeypox. Why do they call it monkeypox? I don't know, actually. Yeah, it's interesting. We were kind of trying to um, noodle that earlier in the in our um, bureau this week. And I know we, it's because like it's mostly animals that catch it, right? Like, and I know, I, we, but but again, we looked up why do they call it chicken pox, and it was something kooky, like because maybe it looks like the pecs that a chicken would give you, <laughs> or that a chicken was somehow like the wimpier of the other 
viruses. So why smallpox? I don't know. And actually, this disease is much more like smallpox than COVID. So let's be clear, this is not easily spread. And it is similar to smallpox and that it does can cause a skin rash and it can actually be more dangerous to children than adults. But it it causes fever. It causes chills. It causes like flu-like symptoms, but it often comes with a rash, kind of like smallpox. So just FYI, and we can now play the game, not is it a cold or is it COVID, but is it COVID a cold or monkeypox? But the monkeypox, you have to actually have physical contact yes. with somebody who who got it. It doesn't it's not, spread easily. It's not spread by by casual contact or by air. Right. And so if we end up with a case in Ohio, we will let you know. And if you want to learn more about any of the topics we covered, check us out online at any of the newspapers in our network, like the Mansfield News Journal. That's mansfieldnewsjournal.com. 